Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm, uh, I'm your host today. I'm Jacob Dick, and I'm an associate editor of LNG, helping bring the latest news to our LNG Insight publication, uh, which is your source for North American LNG news and key European and Asian fundamentals. Today, we've got the whole Insight crew together, and uh, I'm joined with Jameson Coughlin, senior editor of LNG Insight to talk about one of our favorite topics, what is going on with LNG prices. So since the end of December, we've seen prices for LNG to Europe sliding, despite it being the region's heating season and no apparent return of a more Russian pipeline supply. And those have been closely followed by Asian prices as well. So what might uh, be welcome news to buyers after a year of high price volatility is uh, changing expectations for what we might see for the rest of the year. Jameson, do you care to give us a, a little rundown on how low prices have gotten compared to the, the highs we saw last fall and um, why this might be happening in the dead of winter? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's good to answer questions rather than to guide one of these conversations. Yeah, so I'll try to synthesize really what's happened. Um, over the last year, we've kind of had this, you know, about face with regard to, you know, global gas prices. If if you go back, I was looking yesterday to, to this time last year, TTF prices were closer to probably about $30. And that was before the Ukraine conflict broke out. But at that time, you know, Russia was sort of squeezing spot deliveries to Europe and, and supply concerns were kind of amplifying at the same time as they were sort of massing troops on the border and everything like that. So by February, you know, what happened was is uh, Russia invades Ukraine and Bedlam breaks out, right? And it just sort of tips off this really volatile year for the global gas market. European prices, TTF was trading in this band between, you know, $30 and $100 per MMBTU. And then something really interesting happens when you get to the start of the withdrawal season, the heating season in October, prices start to come down. And that was for two main reasons, right? The first, you had ample supplies. Uh, we saw record LNG deliveries to Europe last year because of those high prices. And you had very strong storage inventories. So the European Union had laid out this target of you know filling storage capacity to 80% by October. They hit that in August. And by October, capacity was at about 90%. So supply concerns started to kind of fall off. And then the second part of this here has really been warm winter weather, right? It's been a warm winter across the Northern Hemisphere. It's, it's been the case in North America. That's kind of weighed on Henry Hub. Certainly has been the case in Europe. Um, you've had a nice seasonal winter in Asia, not too much extreme cold there at all. And, you know, this has really weighed on prices. And it will weigh on prices coming out of the winter and into the restocking season, because obviously it's going to be a little easier to refill inventories if you've got a good deal, a good amount left. 
coming out of winter. So that's sort of where we're at at this point in time. And, you know, she also be mentioned that, you know, we're more than halfway through winter now in Europe. The heating season there starts in October. So you're in a situation here where <clears throat> even if you have severe weather from now through to March, there's enough gas in storage. It's still right around 80% where, um, you know, you're going to have enough to make it through. Gotcha. And so what we've seen, I guess, during the two thirds of, of January, I, I think uh, it would be fair to say it's kind of upended expectations that we had leading into December. We've seen financial institutions adjust their averages for the European gas prices this year. And uh, I believe it was Goldman Sachs Commodities actually adjusted their their forecast for how much gas Europe may end winter with by 20% up to, uh, they think that they may end winter with 50% gas still in storage. But, you know, heading heading into 2023, if you follow news wires and, and read uh, forecasts from analysts, we were expecting uh, lots more volatility in 2023. As you mentioned, Europe was... Um, facing the prospect of filling up its storage again without the volumes of of Russian pipeline gas that it got last year. And we were supposed to see possibly a resurgence of China in in LNG spot markets. And so in uh, NGI's special forecast report, which is out now, is available if you would like to read it, you, you wrote a story about what we could expect maybe from Asia in 2023. What, what kind of indications did you get when you were reporting that story and, and how have those uh, worked out so far this year? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Asia is another piece of the puzzle here. It's been, and I'll, I'll get to China in a second, It's it's been a very quiet, quiet year in Asia, right? Like I said, they've had pretty seasonal uh, winter. You know, there hasn't been extreme cold there. And inventories have been pretty healthy. So if you if you go all the way back to the winter of 2021, which seems like a million years ago at this point, there was a severe cold snap at that time. And buyers kind of got caught flat-footed because demand had also fallen off, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was starting to rebound at that point. So it sent buyers in the region scrambling for cargoes. Coming out of that winter, you know, as a result of that, they they started to aggressively restock in 2022, which put them in a nice position for this for this winter, and it, that's kind of really helped them. I mean, they're also strong term buyers in Asia, right? They've got a lot of long term contracts, and and they're sort of covered in that sense. And you know, prices have been high really over the last you know 12 months or so in both Asia and Europe because those two markets follow each other so closely now. So it really hasn't provided a lot of competition for Europe. And of course, as, as TTF has fallen, JKM has too. And then a, another big part of all this is the fact that China has sort of been on the sidelines. They have not been active in the spot market for a lot of the same reasons as, as the rest of the region. They've been reluctant to go after cargoes at some of the prices that we've seen recently. China's inventories have also been strong coming into this winter and you know they've also been able to rely more on pipeline imports right from russia from central asia they've been leaning more on domestic coal production uh, which is obviously cost competitive with natural gas and they've also boosted their their own domestic gas production so this has sort of kept them off the spot market along with a drop in demand 
amid these COVID zero policies that they had instituted. Now, they recently lifted those. But what happened, what's happened is, is you've seen a lot of resurgence in the virus, a lot of outbreaks that, that, that continues to keep demand at bay. So, you know, as the economy reopens over there, I think that, you know, you're going to see maybe a little bit more activity from China on the spot market. But, you know, from the conversations that I've had and, and some of the activity that I've seen right now for for the months ahead, it doesn't look like they're going to return rate guns to to the spot market, which is going to help Europe refill their their inventories going forward. I think that, you know, we saw a tender from CNUC that closed in December for, you know, four to six cargoes in, in 2023. So maybe that's them anticipating a little bit of demand farther out in the year. But you know, there just hasn't been a ton of activity. And I know that, you know, I've seen projections too, that the the COVID recovery in China is not expected to be as strong as what we saw in the United States. So there's probably going to be some growth from China on the spot market, but it's just, it's not right now at this point, it's not expected to be robust, which is again, as I said, that's going to help Europe. Um, and that's going to help keep prices a little bit more stable here in 2023. And from uh, from what I've been reading, we're, we're in the middle of fourth quarter, or I guess the very beginning of fourth quarter reporting, and I saw a comment from uh, Woodside Energy CEO Meg O'Neill talking about how this this week or this uh, end of January might pretend what what we can expect from China because you know, most of the region is ending their their Lunar New Year celebrations. Lots of people travel, lots of people gather together. And so how their, their COVID rates might, might be impacted after that could color the kind of energy demand that they have going forward for at least, you know, the, this first quarter of the year. Right, right. I mean, that's a good point. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's kind of like all eyes are on China right now. It's, it's like a wild card for 2023. You know, it's not just LNG, right? It's, it's oil. It's energy overall. It's, it's China's GDP. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's all that when you, when you think about economic growth in the new year and energy demand. So it, it will, it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, as they come out of those lunar new year celebrations. So um, as we talked about, uh, Europe's storage scenario has uh, been changing forecasts and expectations for global prices. And I think one of the things, uh, this has come up twice now in stories I've reported, when I was looking at Goldman Sachs forecast, they actually changed their expectation for higher TTF prices during the summer which I, I didn't think about this, but after I read it, I was like, that kind of makes sense. With higher winter storage in Europe, they expect industry and manufacturing to be able to increase their demand for natural gas. Like One of the, the things that countries like Germany have, have especially been doing in order to meet this supply shortfall have been cutting demand. And so uh, they think natural gas prices in summer might be higher. And then this, this slide with TTF, I read that freight rates may start to bounce back after the, the slide this spring because more coal to gas switching will be economical and we could see a, a slight demand increase from Europe until prices start to catch back up. Have you seen anything that's jumped out to you as like a, an interesting side effect of this uh, early spring slide? Well, I think when you head into, when you come out of, when you come out of the winter and, and you get into the restocking season, there's, there's, 
there's potential for, for prices to go higher, right? Because it's, it's pretty basic. It's, it's supply, it's demand. The IEA has forecasted that Europe is still facing a 1 trillion cubic foot shortfall in, in 2023 that's going to have to be made up. Because you got to remember in 2022, you know, they were able to fill storage with Russian supplies. I mean, those, those obviously fell off through the year. They basically fell to nothing in, in September when NS1 was finally shut down. But my point here is, is that, you know, when they, when they come into the restocking season, they're still going to have to compete in the global LNG market, right? It's still a global market. It's still, still competitive. They're going to have to get out there and and compete for cargoes. Another thing too is that I think right now prices in Europe are still a little bit high compared to where they've been in the last five or ten years, right? Over the last five years or so, they've been between probably five and ten dollars. So I think prices are still a little bit high, and I think that that's helping with demand destruction a little bit, in addition to the warm winter weather. But you know, if prices continue to fall too. It's going to spur a little bit more consumption. Europe might have to pay closer attention to limiting their, their demand. So I, I think that, you know, in the near term, when you think about prices going higher or lower, it's interesting because Europe has has a lot of supplies right now, right? And it's it's kind of it's kind of allaying the supply fears that kind of dominated the market last year. But as you come into the summer, I think that there's potential for those to to tick up. A little bit, and and obviously there's major concerns about what happens, you know, next winter, and in the following winter, and and so on and so forth. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's just kind of the way I'm thinking of it as you come out of winter and you get into restocking season. Right. I mean that that makes sense to me. I think there's a there's a couple of things this year that I'll be interested to see how they compare to last the last year, especially around, you know, the fall, August to, to November season when we get down to the nitty-gritty of, of restocking. We saw prices go to their highest levels in Europe during that time. Mostly or not mostly, but in part too, because we had so many bottlenecks around European LNG terminals and we had LNG stored at sea for multiple days at a time reach its its highest level, like three point five million tons stuck in in vessels. And so I, I would I'm curious to see how uh, some of the new import capacity around Europe may alleviate that or may um, help dampen some of the volatility. So I, I guess looking at what we've seen this uh, this early winter, I feel like uh, at least a lot of the analysts I talk to, they always like to caveat that yes, this is very advantageous and something that maybe we didn't all expect, but we should probably be attributing that a little bit of luck <laughs> is involved here and that there are plenty of other unexpected scenarios that could potentially turn the tide. But how much do you think that we should be attributing luck to the, this current situation and, and what should we maybe be on the lookout for so we don't get too complacent? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. I mean, I think obviously the the glaring piece of luck here that you're referencing is is the weather this winter and the fact that you know Europe has not had to compete so strongly with Asia for cargoes. I mean that has really helped them sort of fill their storage coffers here. I mean I, I think that early on in the crisis too, and I mean this is still kind of the case. I think that there was a lot of confusion and uncertainty about the policy response in Europe. 
to this whole crisis. But as time has gone on, I, I think that you know it, it's 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 abundantly clear that the continent has moved very quickly to address this really a breakneck speed. Whether that's you know Germany chartering all these FSRUs or it's some of the, the, the decisions with regards to price caps and, and, and joint purchases of gas, I, I think that you know, you're getting clearer, clearer signals from policymakers on how to deal with this going forward. And that, that has helped things to a certain extent. There's still a lot of question marks out there. But I mean, so I think that the luck has factored into this, certainly. I, I think that there, there's been a robust, if sort of confusing response from policymakers to deal with it, but energy markets are complicated. I mean, having said that, barring any escalation of this conflict in Ukraine or, you know, a major supply outage uh, in Norway, which is now, you know, Europe's top supplier or, or, you know, the US, which has been a huge LNG supplier to Europe, it should be a pretty stable year relative to 2022 uh, for gas prices. I think that the market too has baked in the fact that supplies might just kind of stop from Russia. I mean, they've slowed to a trickle coming through Ukraine. The same is true in Turkey. So I don't, I don't think that, that the market is is as concerned about that anymore. Longer term, I think some pieces have to fall in place in order for Europe to sort of avoid paying the prices that they have over. The, the last year. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the long-term stuff, but I think that's another discussion. But I think right now you're you're looking at a pretty stable, a pretty stable stretch compared to 2022. Right. Well, I I do think that uh, the multi-year European outlook uh, is probably something that we, that we should talk about at least a little bit because uh, it seems like every everyone I talk to says that this year will determine how all the the successive years until 2025, when we we finally uh, potentially have more LNG capacity come on the market, uh, how this year goes will impact how all these other critical years years go, and it could potentially get harder every year until Europe finally has the amount of LNG to potentially replace it, the Russian pipeline gas it used to get. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and. It's interesting because we've been hearing about this since probably last fall, maybe even sooner. I think I was talking about this in August. That it's you know it's it's no longer the current winter in, we're in. It's it's what's going to happen you know next winter. What's going to happen the following winter? As I said earlier, there's a you know and you you just referenced it there. There's this this supply gap right in the LNG market between supply and demand. There's not a lot of you know new capacity coming online before. 2025. So that's, you know, obviously something that, that, that Europe and other buyers in the market are going to have to grapple with. But Europe really, I, it, it needs to sign more long-term contracts, right, to sort of avoid volatility on the spot market. And it's interesting because last year, I mean, from a supply side of things, it's you really look, it's the United States and it's Qatar that are kind of driving the market. Especially in terms of reliability, you've got some projects down in Africa and, and elsewhere, but but some of those are it, it's just a little uncertain because of political instability and whatnot. So last year was the biggest year in the United States for LNG contracting activity since exports started from the lower forty-eight. It was largely dominated by Asian customers, Asian offtakers. You know, it, it, they're they're big term buyers over there. But towards the end of the year. 
you saw RWE, you saw Ineos, you saw golf, you saw some portfolio players like Conoco signing deals to move in, to move gas into Europe. And, and they're going to be a big help here too. But there was a deal today. Uh, it was PK and Orland and, and uh, Sempra. So clearly Europe is getting the message here that they need to be securing more supplies. I, I think that there were concerns early on that these deals weren't squaring with some of the environmental targets that, that they have on the continent. And I think as contract negotiations have evolved, the parties are working around some of this stuff. They're, they're, they're building certain things into the SPAs. It's just something that I think that we'll see more of this year is long-term contracts being signed by more European buyers. And that's certainly been the case since November and you know, I've tra- I've talked to project developers. They're they're having those conversations. They're sitting across the table from off takers. So you're going to need more more of that. Another part of this too, and we've touched on this briefly, is you need more infrastructure, right? So you've got all these FSRUs in. You've got more on the way in the next few years, but you know you've got to get a way to get more LNG into the continent. I think Germany's economy ministry said the other day that it's going to take until 2026 to, to get enough of that infrastructure online to, to displace the gas that was coming in via pipeline from Russia. So they're going to have to continue to, to push these projects forward. They're going to have to continue to, to bring the FSRUs in and, and get them set up. And that was also a piece of the puzzle when it came to the contracts, right? Maybe that's why it's taking them a little bit more time to sign these deals because you have to have the infrastructure in place so that you can bring in your supplies. And, you know, some of the bottlenecks at those terminals last year were a part of the reason why, you know, LNG prices soared. So I think longer term, you know, they need to be more active in signing up long-term contracts and we need to continue to see the progress that we've seen on these, these infrastructure projects. And I think we would we would be remiss if we if we didn't mention you know the the big news in our world right now is that Freeport LNG has announced that uh, at least they say they're ready to begin a restart process. We'll see if regulators agree, but that that has helped dampen LNG prices further. The expectation that there might be more capacity online at least by March, but if if we look at the scenario and and the impact that that facility has had since it's been down since June. It's the U.S.'s second largest capacity producer. It accounted for 20% of uh, LNG exports in 2021. And every month that it's been down has hurt the bottom line of utilities like Germany's Uniper that could have used that extra contracted volumes during the year. And at at this point, I don't know the, the probability on it, but all of the U.S. Gulf Coast facilities have been running some above estimated output capacities. And so the fact that we haven't had more <laughs> mechanical right. issues in the U.S., I feel like we were kind of on borrowed time at this point. Right. And that's more of a, yeah, that's a near-term thing. You know, you, you, know, you could watch for some maintenance stretches. That, that could something, that's something, as I said earlier, you know, if you get any kind of you know, prolonged outage in the long run, I mean, we've seen what has happened both in the U.S., and in Europe with this Freeport outage. So, I mean, that's always something to keep an eye on. I mean, 70% of the U.S.'s cargoes last year went, went to Europe. 
So, I mean, there's a major correlation between those two markets, you know, Freeport coming back online, like you said, that sends a signal to Europe that supplies are going to go up. And, you know, it, it's just, it, you can see how, how correlated things are. So that, that's always something now to, to, to watch for in the near term. And I mean, you've seen firsthand over the last 12 months that the impact that Freeport has had both on the North American gas market and the European market. And yeah, that, that's a great, that's a great point. Their, their return to service timeline here has, has helped weigh on TCF a little bit too. Well, um, everyone, I think that that wraps up another episode of Hub and Flow. I, uh, I enjoyed this conversation and, and we hope that you did as well. Thanks, Jameson, for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, great discussion. Good time. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for more episodes from the NGI crew on the latest natural gas market happenings. And make sure to keep your eyes peeled on naturalgasintel.com. Thanks. Have a good day, everyone. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.